Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. Uh, Hey, Holy Spirit, help us to understand more about the covenant, more about what you've promised to us as a a group of believers, as your children. And so I thank you for talking to us this morning. Thank you for helping us to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Hebrews chapter 6. If you got your Bibles, uh, we're going to start in verse 17. If not, it'll be up here on the um, screen uh, or the Sky Bible, as I like to call it. It says, so when God desired... To show more convincingly, man, now I'm going to get all tongue-tied, convincingly to the heirs of the promise, that's us, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things, okay, what are those two unchangeable things? Well, it's the fact that God said it, God's word, and the fact that he made an oath to it. Those are the two unchangeable things. They can't change. Right? So now it's kind of like it's doubly impossible for God to lie. So it says, which is, uh, it says, like two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. So two weeks ago, we began a series on covenant where we've been talking about how the fact that there are, are many Christians, right, who, who understand or at least know God's word, but they're kind of estranged from the fact that God actually keeps his word, right? They, they know the promises, they can quote the promises, but deep down inside there's this thing in them that says, yeah, but would God really do that for me? Would God really keep his promises in his word for me. Would he, would he really do that? And that sometimes creates this thing inside of us to where, you know, we, 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 we hear what God says, we, we, we understand it, but there's this little bit of, of wrestling match that goes on. Because have you ever had a time when you've been praying for something and you feel like, man, I've been praying and just asking the Lord to be a part of it and intervene, but you don't see him moving right away. You don't see him doing that. And so oftentimes we think, well, then obviously God doesn't care. God's not listening. God's somewhere far away and he's distant, but that is not truth. God is always present. God is always listening. And sometimes God just doesn't answer in our time frame. He might answer a little bit later. See, I, you know, I fall into the category sometimes of the fact of, you know what, I want kind of like, you know, driving up to, well, not Starbucks, they take a long time. But if like, you know, you go to fast food, you, you like want it now. I want, man, why am I waiting so long? Right? And, and we fall into that category sometimes where sometimes we have to just realize, God, no, this is about you doing what you want to do in me. And I think sometimes what God's doing in me is he, he's, he's delaying my answer because he wants to grow something in me. He wants me to become more mature in my walk with him. But see, man, I'm impatient, right? How many, anybody get impatient? Yeah, we get kind of impatient. And we're like, come on, come on, man. Let, we got to get this thing going, man. So we have to understand that, you know what? God, God is very integrous with his word. 
There is integrity behind God and his word. But see, sometimes when we kind of don't understand that, then we kind of think, well, yeah, I don't really know if he, he really keeps his word. I, you know, I see it happening for this person, but it didn't happen for me. So then ah, God just kind of, it's kind of that roll of the dice. Maybe God will help me out. But see, that's not how we're supposed to be. But here's the deal. I want to get great news for you. You're not alone. You're not the only person that's ever thought that way. Okay? It's because in Genesis chapter 15, we find God reminding Abraham when he was making, talking about the covenant, about what he promised. And um, you can read it up here. I know I didn't tell you to turn to Genesis, but Genesis chapter 15, it says this. But he, so this is Abraham, said, Oh, Lord God. Now, he had laid out the covenant. He had told me, hey, this is what's going to happen. This is the promises I have for you. And then he says, oh, Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? Okay. Have you ever kind of done that with God? Like you look at the promise and you're like, wow, that's great. But God, man, how do I know that this is really going to happen? How do I really know that you're going to be there and you're, gonna, you're, gonna, you're just going to show up and help me through all of this process, whatever it is that I'm going through? How do I know for sure? How do I know you're going to do it? And then verse 9, he said to him, now this is God. This is God's direct answer. Okay, this is God talking, not me. But this is his deliberate response. He says, bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in half. Okay? Now, that kind of seems odd, wouldn't it be? Because all he's asking is, how do I know that you're, you're faithful to your word? How do I know that, that, that you'll, like, you know, be there? And God says, well, okay, this is what I want you to do. I want you to get a three-year-old, you know, calf, three-year-old lamb, a three-year-old ram. I, I, I want you to get it all, all like, what? That sounds kind of like cray-cray kind of, right? Just like, uh. but see, the cool thing about it is Abraham already knew what God was talking about because that was part of the norm. He knew that as soon as God started to lay that out, Abraham was like, oh, he wants to cut a covenant with me. That, that's, how we, that's how we do covenants back then. Oh, he wants to lay out this covenant with me. And he knew that when in the covenant, that was, right, God saying, I swear by the blood covenant to keep my promise to you. And I will not break it because I can't because of the integrity of my word. Then if you go a couple verses later, it says in verse 18, so Abraham did what he asked, right? And I had someone ask me the, the, the question the other day, well, you know, why didn't he cut the two birds? Well, the two birds are so small that he, that he just kind of used both of them as a representative. Because, you know, when you cut, slid down the animals in half, it kind of, you know, folded out this way in the blood trail and all that. Well, he just took the two birds, and, and the two birds represented one whole kind of thing. That's what I've at least researched, right? And so it says this, though, in verse 18, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. So because of Abraham's obedience, God said, okay, I'm making this covenant with you. I can't go back on it. 
I can't, you know, renege and say, ah, you know what, I was just having a bad day and for some reason I said that to you, Abraham, and now forget it. It's all, I, I don't want to do it anymore. No, he made his covenant and now he's bound by it. Okay, so that tells us then that covenant is God's idea, which is what we've been trying to kind of explain and express in the, in the last couple of weeks, that covenant is God's idea. Now, in our kind of like, you know, civilized and sophisticated society, we, we, we just kind of know that, that, that like covenant is like kind of in other forms of agreement, which is basically contracts, right? We've all kind of dealt with a contract before. We've all kind of seen, you know, mounds of paper sometimes that you've got to sign off and you don't even, not even reading it. You're just signing off on it. Because you're thinking, yeah, I just got to do it. This is what they want me to do. Great. It's what we're not really reading the fine print, right? And so sometimes that's kind of how, just to be honest, we treat the Bible. See, we have a covenant with God, but we don't really read the fine print. We just kind of glaze over it or we just kind of, well, yeah, it's, my Bible's there somewhere. I'll, I'll collect the dust off of it. I'll swipe it up. It'll look good for Sunday. But see, We've got to, like, read the terms of the contract, right? We've got to be able to have it inside of us. And so we've got to know that, you know what? Covenant, a blood covenant that God cut, right, is the most irrevocable agreement known to man. And the only way out of it was death. That's some serious stuff, if you think about it. Serious stuff. So last week, we kind of started this, the, the, um, last week we learned about the, uh, the anatomy of the blood covenant, and this week we're kind of into part two of it, okay? And so if you missed last week, then, you know, go back, listen to the podcast, um, or, you know, review or get, get your workbook that, that comes with uh, out there. Uh, you can kind of get that or, or, or the study guide. Um, also, you can buy the book, uh, God Swears. Um, which is like about $13, but it's also, I found out it was on Kindle. So if you don't like reading books, but you, you read Kindle things, then it's on Kindle too, and you can kind of go that direction. Um, and really, and I, I'm trying to promote that a little bit, or just, just looking at all of these op opportunities, because the more revelation um, that you have on this, the more confidence you'll have in what the new covenant is, what God, the covenant that God made with you, Okay. So last week, our last point started with the fact that in every blood covenant, there's at least nine ceremonial um, elements to it, or nine ceremonial commitments. And last week, we covered the first one. And all I'm going to do just for a refresher is kind of let's go back a little bit so I can tie it in because we're going to talk about some more of these um, commitments, okay? So... The very first one was the uh, enter, they entered the trail of blood. They entered the trail of blood. Once the animals or animals were slit and allowed the blood to spill and they were poor, you know, kind of divided in half and this, this trail of blood uh, was, was created, then the representatives, the ones who said, hey, I, I am the representative of this tribe or I am the representative of this group. Um, and we talked about the strengths and the weaknesses and all that stuff and how they came together. But the representatives would meet in the middle of the trail of blood, right? Which kind of, to me, would be gruesome. Um, I'm just not into that stuff. Uh, I, you know, even, I can't even, this is kind of gross, but um, I, I, I just can't do blood, and, and I can't do, um, I remember when my kids, when we first had kids, and just even smelling their diapers. Whew, man, I, I would get the dry heaves, 
and just kind of like, you know, and my wife's just looking at me like, you are such a wimp. And I was like, yeah, sign me up. I'm there. But it was just kind of one of those things. But I would think if I was actually at one of those things, I would probably be grossed out because I'm just wired that way, I guess. I don't know. Anyways, but, but it was gruesome and it was probably just gross. But, but the main reason why that it was so pronounced the way it was was the fact that it wanted to, it was, its intent was to, to build this everlasting impression in the people's mind that they were in covenant with this other group, that they were in covenant with it, with them. And so this is where that covenant promise then was proclaimed. So they would be in the middle, and this, this kind of covenant promise was proclaimed. I think we have it up here on the screen. It says this, my independence dies today. By standing inside this sacrifice, I acknowledge that I I'm in this now, and that there is no way out. So both of the representatives were saying, hey, we acknowledge. We're in covenant together. There's no way out. I'm in this all the way. You couldn't be halfway. You had to be all the way in, right? And so then we have Jesus, who is our covenant representative, our mediator, Okay, our, now listen, double representative. And you think, well, what do you mean by that, Pastor Scott? Okay, but see, by being God, he represented God. By being man, he represented mankind. So he's our double representative. And he was the one, the only one in the blood trail at the cross. He was the only one in that blood trail. Jesus committed himself to cut a new covenant with those who would believe in him. Right? So in a sense, he's saying the same thing. My independent, well, you know, kind of my independence, I say, he's Christ. But standing inside the sacrifice, I acknowledge that I am in this now and there's no way out. I'm doing it. I'm doing it for the people of God who's going, who are going to turn to God, going to turn to me and, and, and love God and serve God. I'm doing this for them. I'm in all the way. That's what, that's what he's trying to get across. But he, he's, man, he's committed to this, right? He's committed himself to cut this covenant with you if you believe. Just, just that. Just you understanding that. That you have a covenant with God. You know, all the stuff we're talking about. How, man, he, he's bound himself to keep his word to you. Because he cut a covenant when you asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. And you, you, you find yourself smack dab right in the middle of that. And when, when, when we do that, then you know what happens? It opens up every single promise. Every single promise that God made in Scripture opens it up to us. It really does. You say, well, yeah, Pastor Scott, but still, I'm, I'm one of those people. Ah, uh, it works for them, not for me. But see, that's where you've got to get to the point where, you know, you know, you start looking at it and say, well, God, you cut covenant with me. Therefore, you don't go back on your word. And so, yeah, am I not seeing it right now? Maybe. But in my heart... Because I know what the, the revelation of what you're saying about your covenant, man, I'm still going to believe and thank you that I will see my victory. That my victory will still 
come. And so, you know, and, and there might be some other areas. It might be the fact that, man, you're just needing God to meet and supply the things that you need. Not saying that, you know, he wants to give you a Ferrari if you want a Ferrari. I'm not saying that. But I'm just saying, hey, you know what, Lord, man, I, 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 I might need some extra help with this. I might need some extra, you know, whatever. Or maybe, man, funds are low. And man, I, you know, I, whatever it is. I can't tell you the countless number of times that when I, I've faced those situations and said, Lord, I, I just thank you that you're my provider. And then all of a sudden, money or, or whatever it is I need shows up. Not like, you know, a massive amount, but just what I need. And I'm like, wow, God, you're so faithful. But see, that's how God works. I'm just asking him. I'm just saying, hey, that, that's what you say. And then the rest I leave to him. I'm not stressing about it. I'm not trying to like, ah, you know, or whatever. Or, you know, it's just the fact that, you know, it's just putting it before him. But see, we just need to have faith. We need to believe that he will do what he promised in his word. Because the reality is, listen, every promise of God is yes. Every promise of God is yes. And you might say, oh, come on, Pastor Scott, you can't say that. Well, let me give you a scripture for it. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. Now, this is a scripture saying it, not me. It says, for all the promises of God in him are yes. What? Right? And in him, amen. What does amen mean? So be it. So be it. In the message, check this out. It says that God's yes and our yes together. That means our faith coming in agreement with God's yes helps us to be able to see his promises come to pass. Right? So it says, again, for all the promises of God are in him are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. To the glory of God through us. So when we get a need met, need met, then you know what? We should give him all the glory. We should be thanking him, right? And then people see that and go, man, that is awesome. That is so cool. That is great. Man, God's so faithful, isn't he? Or maybe like, man, I don't know this God. Maybe, maybe can you tell me a little more about him so I, I, can, I can have an understanding of who he is? Man, but that, that, that is just part of the new covenant. It's yes, God's answer is yes. So that means, you know what? It belongs to you. It's part of that covenant blessing that God's given to you. So with this in mind, right, let's dive into a couple others. The next one is the exchanging of coats. The exchanging of coats, and sometimes it's robes, but exchanging of coats. coats. And, and I think I, I, I thought about this, one of the most memorable probably moments in the Bible regarding coats or robes took place in the story of the prodigal son. You remember the prodigal son, he got all his inheritance, went out, spent it all, lived a life of sin, was just in a bad shape. You know, he was eating slop from the pig thing and all that. And he realized, hey, my, my, my dad's servants eat better than I do. I'm going to go home and I'm going to just get before my dad and tell him, man, I'm sorry, I, I repent and I'll, I'll eat better. I'll be a servant, Right? But, but this, is, this is like the really cool thing. On his return, in Luke 15, 22, you know, his dad's been waiting for him. His dad's been looking for him. And we, we, we talk about that's a representat representation of God 
for us when we come, come back or when we come to him. But it says this, turning to his servant. So this is the dad. And he sees his son coming. And his son comes. And, and, and he turns to his servants and the dad said, quick, bring me the best robe, my very own robe. Right? Not just his best one, but his very own robe. And I will place it on his shoulders. So here's the dad. He's not waiting for his son to fix it. You get everything squared away, get it all perfect and everything to prove himself. Because really, in the natural, the son had nothing to offer. Just like us. Sometimes, you know, we just got to come to him. We don't have a whole lot to offer. Sure, he's gifted us and given us talents, but there are times when, man, you know what? We just got to get before him and say, man, I got nothing to offer in this situation, but I know that you give me everything I need to do what you want me to do what you've asked me to do, right? But now, since the father stepped in, right? The dad simply stepped in with a plan of restoration. The robe whom the father himself placed on his shoulders, check this out, symbolized the son's restored position in the family. He now had the authority and every resource the family possessed. It had, by the father giving him his robe, transferred everything back to him. That's amazing. Because here, the son squandered everything. Yet God said, when I put that robe back on, man, in the eyes of everyone in that household, he has been restored. He is, now has all of the authority that I have as the father, as the, as the dad. I give him everything that he, he needs. So that ceremonial coat represents kind of who we are. And here, it's, it's this passing, this passing of authority, a legal transfer. That's a better word. It's a legal transfer. Kind of like, you know, when you, when you buy someone else's car. Right? You got to fill out the paperwork. Then you got to go to the DMV and tell them, oh, hey, I bought this car. And then they do all this. This is a legal transfer. Same principle. When the coat or the, the, the robe is, is, is exchanged, it's a legal transfer and passing. Right? A, a transfer of position, authority, wealth, and any resources that are needed in this covenant. It's a legal transfer. So this is, what, this is what the passing of the coats and the covenant of promise was saying. All that I am now belongs to you. Your needs are my needs. My resources are available to you. That's what it's saying. Your needs are now my needs. When God made a covenant of promise with Abraham, and we are heirs to that promise... Right? Because we are the seed of Abraham. God said, man, all your needs are my needs. So when I got a need, I can go to daddy. I can go to my father and say, Lord, I got a need. And he says, well, your needs, son, are my needs. Right? We get that in the practical. As, as parents, when we have kids, and our kids come and go, oh, dad. Now, obviously, we don't negotiate with terrorists or anything like that. But when they have a need, 
We're like, okay, yeah, son, we'll meet that need. Daughter, we'll meet that need. Because their need is my need. Same principle. God's like, hey, you know what, Scott? Pastor Scott, you got a need? Your need is my need now. Because you're in this, 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 this covenant that I made. Here, here, here's an Old Testament promise right here with Jesus. When Jesus passed his coat, robe, he passed it to you and I, just so you're aware. But here in Isaiah 61.10 says this. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall um, exult in my God. For he has clothed me, okay, with the garments of salvation. Yeah, amen to that. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. He has restored me. Now, this is prophetic. Talking about Jesus. He's saying, man, this is what's going to happen. And so now you and I, because of what Christ has done, we have this robe of righteousness around us, right? It, it, the Bible tells us, and, and same, I think it's in Isaiah, where it says, you know what? Your righteousness is like filthy rags, right? It's filthy. It's gross. But because of what Jesus did, man, that coat is put around us, and he doesn't see it anymore. He, he absolutely does not see it anymore. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, for our sake... He made him, that's Jesus, to be sin. Whew. God made Jesus to be sin. Jesus had no sin, right? But he made him sin when he was on the cross. All this sin was upon him. Who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are righteous. All right? So by... So this, this, this is how I see it, right? So by Jesus coming and wearing the coat of humanity, right? Didn't he? Yeah. He wore the coat of humanity for our sakes. This allowed Jesus to take our coat of sin and put it on and die with it on. He put it on voluntarily. Say, Scott, Pastor Scott, when you ask me to forgive you and, and for me to be your Lord and Savior, let me take that coat of sin off you. I'm going to take it. Let me, hold on. Wait a minute. Let me give you that robe of righteousness. And I'll take the, the, the coat of sin. Oh, my gosh. Man, if we just get a revelation of that, if we just understand that, man, that's just so, so good. Right? But when he did all that, man... It's so that today and every day, just as, as like this book we're reading, God Swears, right? God then acknowledges us and welcomes us. He responds to us exactly as he does with Jesus. Because all he sees is righteousness. All he sees is righteousness, right? And if you sin, confess your sin. Repent. Turn from it. Because it says in 1 John 1, 9, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So as soon as we ask for forgiveness, you got this robe of righteousness on. And that's all he sees. And he's like, yeah, let's talk. Yeah, let's have an encounter. Yes, I want to say yes like I would say to Jesus, right? Because I would think when we read stories about Jesus and he, and he healed the sick, he had all this stuff, whatever was going on, right? 
He was seeing Jesus in this righteousness. And he sees us exactly the same way. That just, whoa, you're wearing a coat of righteousness. If you walk out of here with nothing else today, just know that as you're walking out, and if you're right with God, you are wearing this coat, this robe of righteousness. And God wants to talk with you and encounter with you and all these things because he sees you as righteous. And then keep your heart pure. Keep it right. And if you sin, then turn. Say, God, I sinned. Forgive me of that. Right? It doesn't give you a license to sin. And not at all. But see, we should be growing to the point where the Holy Spirit is speaking to us, to where, man, we don't even want to sin. We're just like, hey, I'm in love with God because, man, I'm righteous, and, man, he's working in my life, and, man, it's just so great. All right, anyways, let's go to number three. The exchange of weapon belts. So we have, we have this exchange going on of coats or robes or whatever it is. And then now we're exchanged the weapon belts. Now, in Bible times, the weapon belt would consist of things like a sword, a shield, a knife, a quiver of arrows and a bow, right, and a spear, something like that. And it was all about protection. It's all about protection. So when they went to exchange this, this is the covenant promise. I will never use my weapons against you. Only in your defense. See, grab a hold of that because a lot of times we think, well, God's angry with me and so God's doing all of this bad stuff to me. No, God made a covenant with you. He says, I will never use my weapons against you. Praise God because if he used, man, I, I, there would be so many times he could just lightning bolt me and just, and I'd be toast with avocado on it, right? You know, healthy. Anyways, I will never use my weapons against you only in your defense. He loves you. He, he, man, he's on your side. Then it says your enemies are now my enemies. What? Your enemies are now my enemies. When someone attacks you, they are attacking me also. They are attacking me also. Man. That is powerful stuff, if you think about it. An Old Testament example of this can be found in 1 Samuel, when Jonathan handed his robe and weapons to cut covenant with David. Now, it was not because Jonathan was weak, right? He was the son of the king, King Saul. But it's because he loved David. There was something about David that he saw and was like, man, I, I want to cut covenant with you. First Samuel chapter 18 says this. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. Verse 4. And Jonathan stripped himself of his robe, right, that was on him and gave it to David and his armor, and even his sword, and his bow, and his belt. How cool is that? So by giving David his robe, his armor, his sword, his belt, all these things, Jonathan was saying, I will do whatever I need to do in my authority and power to protect and defend you from all your enemies. Who was one of David's enemies? 
Saul, his dad, he was willing to say, hey man, I'm right there. And, 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 and we know Saul was trying to kill David and all those things, but man, Jonathan stepped in and saved David and said, hey, my dad's after you. Go do this or whatever. You know what? Man, I'll do whatever I can to protect you. Just, just something that's, that's, that's so interesting. But when God cut covenant with us by the blood of Jesus, God literally gave you and I his armor. He gave you and I his armor, his weapon belt, just like Jonathan gave David. But it's up to us to put it on. It's up to us to give what he gave us in the covenant contract to do battle with the devil every day, but we got to put it on. Right? Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, rulers of darkness of this age. So I'm not at war with you. I'm at war with what's the spirit behind it. Right? Ephesians 6.10 then says this. It says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Notice, it's his armor. It's not our armor. Our armor is weak. We're weak. But it's his armor. For, uh, let's see. Um, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Your armor cannot stand against the schemes of the enemy. It's God's armor. We've got to put it on. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Then it says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. I'm sorry, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. So that means, you know what? There's going to be times where the enemy comes and he's going to want to mess with you. That's the evil day, right? It's not way, way down the road and when, when you know, finally there's the battle of Armageddon and all that, the revelation stuff and all that. No, every single day the enemy's out to get you. Every single day the enemy's like, how can I get you to be derailed from what God wants you to, to do? Or how, how, how your relationship, how can I derail your relationship with God? See, but see, that's where it says we've got to put on this armor. It's God's armor, right? It's not our armor. And here's the deal. I read this in the book. God's armor has never lost a battle yet. Think about that. God's armor. You read the Bible. Check it out. God's armor has never lost a battle. So when Jesus gave us his weapon belt, which are weapons that reflect the authority of his word. That's key, right? Because we don't all of a sudden, you know, we get saved and we show up and in our mailbox, you know, is a weapons belt with a sword and a shield and, you know, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness and all that. No, we we receive all those things by faith. We receive them and say, okay, that's mine now. This is part of the armor. I'm going to walk out there with him, right? And you, I mean, you can even look a little bit deeper in Ephesians um, chapter 6, verse 14 and 18. It's all part of the covenant. And when we receive and use them with our faith and we declare his victory, what are we going to see? Victory. We're going to see victory. We might not see it immediately, but we're going to see victory. 
But see, we've got to be able to declare that victory. Right? We've got to have faith in his word, faith in the covenant. But it's ours because of the covenant contract that God made with, it, with us. That's how, you know, that's how we can say, man, I don't fight for victory. I fight from victory. Because it's already been established as ours. But we see, we have to realize that we have to live and walk. We, we have to live and walk understanding that we, we have a tremendous advantage over our enemy. We do. We have such a tremendous advantage over him. Yet we constantly don't understand that. We constantly don't get it because we don't understand what God has promised to us. What God has given to us. So much so that when the enemy comes, this is what James 4, 7 says. It says, stand up to the devil and resist him. And then what does it say? And he will flee. Not just flee. I love this version. He will flee in agony. That means, man, you've done some damage. I remember my kidney stone. I was in agony. So there's a part of me that's like, man, every single time I resist, man, you're, yeah, you're going to be just like my kidney stone that I experienced. Number four, the walk of blood. So after each representative was adorned in each other's clothes and weapons, they would walk the trail of blood, but they would walk it, you know, in between as a figure eight, which represented infinity, meaning that it would last forever. It, it, it's not going to change. It would last forever. And this is the covenant promise. If I break this covenant, then what was done to this animal be done to me. Now, now remember, God's the one that cut covenant with us through his son, Jesus. So it's saying, man, if I break this covenant then let what was done to this animal be done to me. It's powerful. See, look, look at Genesis chapter 15 with me if you would. Or we'll just have it up on the screen. But notice something very unique about this, this part. It says this in verse 7. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. Now there's a lot of theory to that. That was God and Jesus, the two different ones or whatever. But anyways, it was God passing through the two pieces in the cut when he was cutting the covenant. But notice that Abraham didn't have to walk through it. Did you notice that? It was God. God walked through it. Why? Because God was indicating to Abraham that it was he who was initiating the covenant. And he would assume full responsibility of its administration. That's what he was telling Abraham. Abraham, I'm the one that's cutting it with you. You don't even have to walk between the pieces. You don't even have to be the one that has to swear anything. I'm swearing that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be there. I'm going to take care of you. Oh my gosh. Same, same principle with Jesus, right? I don't have to go to a cross. 
to have my sins forgiven. Jesus did that. Jesus did that. I feel like I'm Abraham. Jesus did that. All so that this covenant would be established. That's so good. Right? And, and so that these promises would, would occur. Like, you know, like one of the promises is the fact that he's never going to leave you. He, he, he will never walk away from you. Right? He promised in, in Joshua 1.5 to the, to the people of Israel. He said, hey, I won't leave you. Then, then he, had, he told Moses to tell the people, hey, I'm not going to leave you. I'll be with you. And then we get to the New Testament, and this is what the Hebrews writer said. First, uh, chapter 13. He says, keep your life free from the love of money. And be confident, or be content with what you have. Man, that just blows your mind too sometimes, right? Because so many people are not content with what they have. They've got to have more, 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 more. But God said, no, to, to be content with what you have, I'm going to supply I'm going to take care of every need that you have because, man, you have this code of righteousness on you. I am going to make sure that your needs are met. But if he says, then he says this, be content with what you have, for he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can be confident, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. Man, that's powerful. When you can walk in that freedom, that's powerful. But God said he'd always be with us all the time so that we, we can be content. See, sometimes we feel this pre- pressure. Man, we got to perform. We got to do this. We got to have this. We got to look. We got to keep up with the Joneses. We got to do this. We, you know, all of this stuff. But God's just saying, hey, man, be content with what you have. I know what you have, and I'm still going to meet every need that you have when you need it, when that time is. I will be there. Trust me. Have faith in me. But, man, you don't need to stress. Put all of that weight sometimes on ourselves because, you know, we got to keep up. Now, he will supply all of our needs forever. He will be with us forever. Now, one of the things you can think about, well, wait a minute, hold on, Pastor Scott. Jesus was on the cross. He couldn't walk the figure, the infinity, the figure eight through the blood, his blood that was on the ground. So what's that all about? But see, we have to understand that, you know what, just by the spilling of his blood, the blood that was coming out, from his hands and his feet, that was enough to confirm it was eternal. Okay? Let me, let me give you the reason why. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20 says, the blood of the eternal covenant is talking about Jesus. It's talking about Jesus' blood, and it's the eternal covenant. Remember? Infinity. So even though he couldn't come off the cross and, and walk around in his blood and then get back on the cross, the very fact that it was spilled, to God, that was enough for the eternal, for our eternal covenant with God. Man, that's so good. So the covenant is eternal. God will not go back on it. And it applies to us every day in every situation and everything that we encounter. God will not change what his lips have said. 
Think about that. God will not change what his lips have said. Number five, our very last one says, uh, is the cutting and the scarring of the flesh. The cutting and the scarring of the flesh. Now, that was done so that there was, a visi- there was visible proof of the covenant that it was made. Okay? Visible proof that the covenant was made. Right? And once vows were exchanged, once all of this was going on, each party would come and cut themselves. Right? They would cut their wrist, their hand, their forehead, their right cheek, their stomach. They'd cut any area. And then what they would do is they would press that blood. They would mingle that blood together. It's kind of gross, huh? But again... It's trying to get the point across. Hey, we're in covenant together. We, we are in covenant together. And this is the covenant promise that would be kind of declared. It would say this. I swear in my own blood to uphold the terms of this agreement. As our blood now mingles, we are joined as one together. You are in me, and I am in you. Powerful. So it was, um, so that scar, right, was so powerful. Or the the blood, they would mix it. But then what they would do is they would put some kind of like, um, they, they would seal it in such a way that would create a scar so that it would become obvious because the scar would signify to all who saw that they had entered into a blood covenant, right? And, and, and two, you could remember, oh, 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 wait a minute. Yeah, I've got this blood covenant with the, these guys. I'm, I'm right there. And, and it's funny, too, looking at it, um, handshaking kind of came from that because, you know, the cutting of the palm, and they would handshake, mingle the blood together. Also, they would even talk about how, you know, that, the, like the wedding ring. They would, they would cut their finger here for, like, the wedding ring, and then it would puff up because they didn't have wedding rings, I guess. But, man, they knew the scar's there. I'm married, right? Just, just, just a little bit of background. Right? And in, in Genesis 17, this is what God tells Abraham. Because we're talking about the covenant that he made with Abraham. He said that every male born of this household, of his household and beyond, right? So which of that's the nation of Israel, would be required to be circumcised. So that the scar would represent an intimate and personal covenant with God. Every single heir. Or to be, you know, that, that's why David said, you know what, I'll come against this uncircumcised Philistine. Because this uncircumcised Philistine didn't have any covenant with God. Didn't have a relationship with God. But David did. Right? And David, David was circumcised. In that. But see, he was saying, this is an outward sign. This is the sign that I want you to make. Because, you know what, I want everyone to know, right, that as... As, as an Israelite, you have a covenant with God. 
So it was this establishing. And there was a couple things that, that signifies this. Um, and this is just kind of some information. Um, the cutting away of the foreskin spoke of cutting away of one's fleshly dependence. So there was kind of significance behind it. Man, my fleshly dependence, I can do it all on my own. Have we ever felt that way before? Man, I'm just going to make it happen. I'm just going to be, yeah, I'm doing it all on my own. No one cares about me. I, it's all about me. And so, it's, so that scar, that covenant scar, was to remind him, no, 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 no. You can't do this on your own. You can't do that. that. And then the second thing that it signified was their hope for their future. Their future pros, uh, posterity, right? The generations. So the generations would know. And, the pro, and prosperity. That they, they just wouldn't rest on their own ability to create things. To do things. So circumcision was a statement that, that was a, that confidence. They put confidence and, and placed that in God's promises and his faithfulness to bring them to pass. Doesn't sound fun though, does it? Thank God they do it when you're a kid. Right? But then here in the New Testament, it says something totally revolutionary, man. Just, oh my gosh. Here we go. Colossians 12, 2, uh, verse 11. It says, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised, not by a physical procedure. Right? Someone didn't show up at your house and say, all right, man. We're going to have to make sure we're going to have, you know, no. He says, you were circumcised not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature, your flesh nature, right? This spiritual circumcision took place in your heart, took place in our hearts, so it's not physically identifiable like it was in the Old Testament. But when the Holy Spirit is allowed in on when you confess Christ, then that allows the Holy Spirit to come and begin to circumcise your heart. Begin to take away that fleshly desire, those things. Your heart begins to change. And the evidence of that is that the fact that you don't really enjoy sin anymore. Right? You still sin, maybe. But man, there's something that goes... Oh, I probably shouldn't have gone that direction. Ah, man, I messed up. You, you just can't enjoy it, right? When you don't have Christ in your life, sin's great. Because there's no, there's no parameters. There's no boundaries, right? You're just doing it and enjoying it and having a great time. It's just, yeah, this is awesome, baby. You know, whatever. But then when you have Christ in your life, Holy Spirit's like, man, no, 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 no. You don't do that. Man, you're not treating your body as a temple. You're not doing the things that God wants you to do. And man, all of a sudden, now there's this tug of war going on or whatever. That's because the Holy Spirit has begun to circumcise your heart. Right? Evidence of the covenant that he has with you and I. Evidence of the covenant that we have with him. That we stepped into because of what Jesus did. So the, the, the scar of a, it's just the scar of a circumcised heart. But people struggle with that. 
I mean, you know what? I mean, Christians struggle with that a lot of times. Because they think, hey, you know what? The way to prove that I'm circumcised or the way I prove that I am, am, am of Christ is by my works. Not by him doing work on my heart. Not by him doing surgery. No, if I do enough good works, people are going to think that, oh, I, I must be okay with God. No, that's not how it works. Right? Jesus said, hey, man, you only come to, you only come to the Father through me. Right? And when you come to him through him, then the Holy Spirit comes in and he starts working on your heart. He starts circumcising. And all of a sudden, man, sin's not something you, you desire. You want to please God more than you want to please the sin. And so, so we've got to realize that, you know, we, we've got to get beyond that. It's not about our flesh. It's not about our works at all. So what happens is, is when we just place it all on that, then we kind of fail in living and receiving God's provision. God's provision by faith. Let me, let me read you a couple of scriptures and we'll end right here. Galatians 3, chapter 1, verse 3. This is Paul writing to the Galatians, okay? And, and, and it sounds kind of funny at first, a little bit. Anyways, maybe not funny, but it says this. Oh, foolish Galatians, stop being foolish, right? I'm, I, I, you know, if he wasn't a Christian, he'd probably say it in a different way, okay? But he says, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Now, it's not talking about someone came and cast a spell on them or anything like that, okay? But basically, man, who's clouded your thinking? Your thinking is so clouded right now. He says, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. I read somewhere, man, it was because of Paul's preaching. They knew, right? Yeah, I mean, they said, man, Paul, wherever he went, man, because he preached and he had no, just abandonment. It was kind of like, you know, putting billboards up everywhere, about Jesus, what Jesus did. He said, let me ask you only this. He's only asking one question. Not a bunch of multiple questions. He says, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by the hearing of faith? I said, so did you receive the Holy Spirit because you were such a good boy and you did all these nice little works? No. You received the Holy Spirit because you had faith in Christ. You had faith in Christ. And then verse 3 says, Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? So he's saying, you know what, now, so is your flesh making you perfect to receive all that God has for you? See, because their, their minds got clouded because they were telling the Galatians, hey, you know what, no, really what you need to do is do all these works. And then, you know, then you're good. It's all good. But what he's saying is, no, 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 no. Didn't you receive the Spirit by faith? And, and the Spirit began to carve away and do these things and get, get all this fleshly nature out of us? You know, some of us are farther ahead than others in that. But man, I'm just telling you, if you're really behind in that fleshly nature still being a part, keep moving forward. Keep letting the Holy Spirit circumcise you to the point where, man, all of a sudden this stuff just starts going away. Okay, so Paul's telling them, man, spiritual growth and maturity is achieved, not, not achieved by the works of the flesh. If you want to grow spiritually, right, if you want to mature, it's not by the works that you do in the flesh. It's only done with the help of the Holy Spirit. And you growing in your faith by abiding in Jesus. That is the only way.
I'm going to finish it off with this last scripture. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, becoming a curse for us. See, he took our place. Jesus took our place, but he did it willingly, knowing that when he took the place, man, a covenant was going to be cut. A covenant was going to come out of this that you and I are partakers of. All the the ability of all the promises of the word of God. It says this, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of who? Abraham. Because we're the seed of Abraham. Might come to the Gentiles. Who's the Gentiles? Us. Right? So this covenant was made with Jesus on the cross. And it said, man, you know what? There's no difference. There's no difference at all. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So that circumcision of our heart can take place as we walk in faith, as we believe God's word, as we thank him that, you know what, Lord, man, you are incredible. You are the one who absolutely 100% has promised what you said. And I, as a child of God, really have nothing to bring to the table, but you have given me everything I could need. But see, we have to have faith enough to believe that the covenant the promises, the things that he's made to you and I in this book are real. And they are true and they're for you because you're his kid. I mean, it's, it's, it's just us getting a revelation of that. It's us being able to say, okay, well then, man, you know what? Yeah, sure, I'm not the greatest person in the world. But man, I know that you cut covenant with me because I believe in Jesus. And Jesus was my representative. And now I can step into that and say, God, you promised. You said that you would do this. I don't know when it's going to happen. But man, it's going to happen. Right? God's word is so rich and so real that, man, we just want to be a congregation uh, you know, of all three of our campuses that just recognize the importance that we as believers walk in a covenant relationship with God. And we, we walk out of here with a robe of righteousness on. And God deals with us and sees us like Jesus. We're not Jesus. But he deals with us because we're his child. We're his children. And so what I would like you to do is just bow your heads today. I'm going to just pray a simple prayer over you and then we'll, we'll dismiss but I, I, hope, I hope this is enlightening or, or, or grabbing a hold of your heart in such a way that you can really look at God's word and be able to say, okay, man, God, you, you have all these promises for me. And man, yeah, I've heard them. I've heard Pastor Scott say them or someone else say them or whatever. But man, let, let me dive into the point where I start believing that they're real for me and they're true for me. That's our heart. And so, Lord Jesus, we, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are our covenant representative. That you are a double representative. That you represented God and you represented man. And I thank you so much. So, so very much that you chose to go to the cross. So, so very much that you chose to cut covenant with me. And so, Lord, I just pray that we would continue 
to dive in, continue to, to, to look through the scriptures as you continue to reveal by the Holy Spirit as the teacher, the truth of what God's word says about the covenant that you cut with us. May we be bold in our faith. May we, we know our, our rightful standing in your eyes as we walk out of here today and throughout this week. Holy Spirit, remind us. Let it, let it be something that, that just is, is, is constantly on our mind. Even if it drives us nuts, I ask that you would do that, Lord. So I thank you. I thank you that you are faithful to your promises, faithful to your word, faithful to your love of us. May goodness and mercy follow us throughout this week. And I just declare blessings on, on this congregation, on this group of people. May they, they encounter you throughout this week. As only you can, only you, as you can, can encounter them. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.